Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. All right, so today I was actually pondering a couple different messages, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do because I'm stuck. And then finally I, I settled on something Even though it's still a part of the Christ story, I think it's important for us to understand and to get. So today I'd like to speak to you on the topic of the innkeeper's Christmas. The innkeeper's Christmas. Let's look at the verses once again in Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, most of the women that are in here, they have experienced pregnancy, and you know what that's like. When a woman is pregnant, of course, many women will go through in their first trimester, they will experience some sickness, and they will be nauseated, and, and they will feel kind of bad every morning. In a way, that's the signal that something has changed. Something is going on different in their body, and usually that's the first sign for many women who get pregnant, and, and so... They go through that called, they go through what's called morning sickness. And so they experience it. And so as, as the pregnancy goes on, what begins to happen, some women will have trouble carrying, and they might even have to be assigned to bed rest for two or three months. I've known many women who had to do that. But as time goes on, they be, unfortunately, what tends to happen, they put on some weight and Then they start to complain about the weight that they're gaining. And and so they go through all these changes. There's hormonal changes. And so their emotions are all all revved up at times. And and, and so there's all these things that are happening with their body. And then there's the third trimester. And finally, they're like, will this baby please come out? And they can't wait till this baby come out. And sometimes it's more than nine months. And then it's like... You know, some of them are carrying because they can carry different ways. Some carry up, some carry down. But they they begin to feel very uncomfortable. And they're going through all these different changes, and they just want it over. And then, of course, they experience the birth process. Well, just imagine that. Here's this pregnant woman. She's in her third trimester. 
She's probably feeling all the stuff that many of you pregnant women have felt. And, and so here's Mary. She's in Bethlehem, and she's with her husband, and, and she had gone on this trip because they had no choice. Now, what I always wonder is, why didn't he, Joseph, leave his wife home? Why would he take her? I, I kind of want to ask him that question. But it's interesting because as we look at the story, there's some things that have to happen. There's things that, for some reason, have to occur. And so when we look at the story, we already know that it's been predicted in the Old Testament, in Micah chapter 5 and in Isaiah, that there was going to be this virgin who would conceive, and this virgin will bring forth a baby, and this, his name was going to be called Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, and this baby was going to be born in a place called Bethlehem, which by the way means house of bread, house of bread. Isn't it amazing when you look at the scripture and we look in the wilderness, in Exodus, and what do we see there? We see that God fed them bread, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness. He fed them bread that came down from heaven. And isn't it amazing that Jesus, this baby that's going to be born, he's going to be born in a place called the house of bread, and he calls himself the bread of life. Because in the Old Testament, when we see the bread coming down from heaven and, they're being, and the Israelites are being fed, it's a type of Christ who is going to come down from heaven and he's going to be called the bread of life. No, he's not going to feed us physically, but this one who comes from heaven is going to be a gift of God that will be able to feed us the bread from heaven that will impact us spiritually and change our lives. Here's this woman that's pregnant. And so they're, they probably were knocking on some doors. But we, this one innkeeper, he didn't let her in. He didn't let Joseph in. But there's a reason why there was a crowd there. And we see it in the beginning, right? Because when we look at the verse, we... We see that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that there should be a census taken. And we see that, that everybody was going to be taxed. And so they had to go to their place, the place where they were born. They had to go. The men had to go there. And so Joseph was from there, and he had to go there in order to have this census taken and to pay taxes. And he didn't want his wife to be by herself, even though... The mom and dad might have been there, but no, this is my responsibility. I want her to be with me. Doesn't that kind of tell us something about the nature of Joseph? I know it's going to be uncomfortable for you, Mary, but I need you to be with me. Look at the commitment level. But look at her willingness to go, even though she was uncomfortable. See, there's the dynamic of the spiritual here, which we know that, that the baby Jesus is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but there's a natural thing that's occurring in relationship here, that they want to be together. 
And that no matter how difficult it might be, Joseph had already been told by the angel that, listen, man, your, your wife is carrying a baby that's special. This isn't just a regular baby. And Joseph wanted to be with her. And she was willing to go with him despite being uncomfortable. So they're at this innkeeper's place, and, and the town is filled up because people have come from all over the place. And, and, and so it's probably crowded. It's not like going into, well, they didn't have a Hampton Hotel. They didn't have a Sheraton. They didn't have a Marriott. They didn't have all these Hotels that we like, you know, we most of us can't afford to go into. You know, how about the Ritz-Carlton? That would have been nice, wouldn't it? But they didn't have all these extravagant hotels that they could go into like we have today. And the other thing we got to be careful with is that when we look at the dynamic that's taking place, it's easy to put how we look at things in our culture and to take it there and to put it on theirs. So maybe the fact that it was okay for them not to be accepted in the end, and they might would have looked at it differently, not that she was totally neglected by this innkeeper. You know, it's amazing how things change. Because even when you go on the bus these days, peop- our young people aren't willing to give up their seats to the older people and forget about giving up their seat to a pregnant woman. See, back in the day... We were taught to always surrender our seats to a woman, period. Not just a pregnant woman. But they don't even surrender seats to pregnant women. That's how times have changed. There seems to be a lack of concern when it comes to caring other people, even pregnant women. It's no big deal. So the reality is, is that when we look at this story and we see the dynamic that's taking place, we know that the inn was probably only two or three rooms because they were houses and they were small houses. They were probably almost along the lines of probably smaller than the flat that you would see in England. And they're pretty small flats. That's what they call them. And so when you look at the house that she probably, they probably knocked on, it probably only had a couple rooms, so, so all the rooms were filled up. And the innkeeper comes to the door and says, there's no room here. But it didn't matter that she was pregnant. He didn't care nothing about it, apparently. But I want you to see something here. And what I want you to see is that there's no room at the end. And so when we look at this, we can see some, something inside of this man. We, we can see that something was lacking. And what was lacking in this man that I believe, and this is what I came up with, the first thing I came up that was missing from this man, that he didn't have sympathy. There was no sympathy there. Now, we know what the word sympathy means. It, it means it's feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune. That's what it means to have sympathy. Different than empathy. Empathy is when you need to put yourself in someone's place and put, your, put, them in, put yourself in their shoes in order to be able to be sensitive to where they're at. Different than sympathy. 
Sympathy carries a pity component because I feel for your misfortune. This man lacked sympathy. Some of us probably lack sympathy too at times, don't we? We can be desensitized to to a lot of things. You know why? Because of the culture. The culture sets the tone. Look at the TV that we watch. Look at the kind of shows that we watch. Look at how everything becomes watered down. So it becomes, we can become easily desensitized to the things that we should be sensitive to and possibly should have sympathy for. So the culture has influenced it, and there's a reason why. I'm going to get to there in a minute. But there's another word, the word surrender. So he lacked Surrender. Well, well, Crawford, what do you mean by surrender? Look, look at this. Look at what the word means. It means to cease resistance to an enemy. To give up. To cease resistance to an enemy. So what did he surrender to? Comfortability. He surrendered to it. It was all about being comfortable. I'm not going to give up my comfort level. In other words, think about it. I'm not going to give up my room. Or I'm not going to give up where I stay. I'm not going to give up my bedroom to have this stranger come into my house and to have a baby. I'm not willing to do that. I would have to surrender my comfort level. Now, if you think about that for a second, don't we get like that? Because we love being comfortable. I know I do, if the truth is told. The air conditioner's not working. I'm going to call up the man and have him come fix it. Because there's no way I'm going to stay in the house when it's 95 degrees outside and to be sweating up a storm. Because even if you have the windows open, it's going to be even hotter inside the house. So I'm gonna, I don't want to be uncomfortable. We need the air and, and the fan's not going to help. So I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to call up the the man and I'm going to have him come out and fix it. Same way in the wintertime. If it's 10 degrees outside, you're going to want some heat because the house is going to be cold. So your comfort level isn't going to be there. But that's on the outside, right? What about being comfortable on the inside? We're taught not to do anything for strangers because they are strangers. We teach our kids, listen, don't talk to a stranger because you don't know them. That's, how, that's what we taught, right? But yet, look at how many people will get in the vehicles with, with Uber drivers. They don't know who they are, right? They're strangers, complete strangers. Yeah, I know there's protections in place, but still they're strangers to you. You don't know them. Who knows what's going on in their minds, right? But there's a comfort level for people that do that. And yet there's not a comfort level for other people who they might meet, who might be trustworthy because somebody recommended them. Hmm. So I can trust a complete stranger to take me where I want to go, But my best friend who recommends somebody for something I'm not willing to trust. Seems kind of backwards. 
The reality is this man didn't want to surrender. He was comfortable. And so that was another thing that was going on with him. But then there's a third one, sacrifice. He's not willing to give up something. See, surrender and sacrifice kind of go together. You know, I'm not willing to give up something. <clears throat> it's interesting. I was in Germantown, and I was going to the to credit union, and there was a lady there, and of course she was begging. And she said, can I have, can you give me a dollar? And I walked past her. I said, I see you when I come out. So I came outside, and you know, Usually a dollar. That's what we do. Some people like, I ain't giving them nothing. But for some reason, I took out a $5 bill. I said, here. And as soon as I gave her that $5 bill, she was gone. (laughs) She was gone. I made her day. Now, now here's the thing. I mean, we think about those things, and, and, you know, we say, why do you give, do you want some food and all that? And I know we go through all that stuff. And here's where I'm at with that. I kind of changed my position. I'm like, you know what? I probably know what they're going to do, but that's on them. If I'm moved to give, I just give. I can't control what they do with it. I can only be obedient to what I'm told to do. It's their responsibility what they do with it. And I think sometimes we get so hard-hearted because we don't want to sacrifice, especially when it comes to money. When it comes to money, I don't want to sacrifice. And, you know, people have taken advantage of us so bad. I mean, I have family members who've taken advantage of me. Let's be honest. And I, I do my best to set up boundaries. I'm like, I'm never going to do nothing for this. I'm never going to give him nothing no more. I'm not, I'm not talking about my brother. Yes, I am. The fact is, because we love family, we go beyond the point what we should do. A lot of times. Why? Because there's something there, because we look at them as family. And so the reality is, is that we want to do more for family in most cases than we would for strangers. But then look at what the Bible says. Isn't it interesting that we could be entertaining angels? We never know. Maybe we could be tested that God has allowed somebody to cross our path and he wants, to, uh, uh, he wants to test us to see if we're willing to be open, to be vulnerable enough, to be sacrificial as well as surrender. Just a thought. So this innkeeper wasn't willing to, to sacrifice, but then this innkeeper wasn't willing to be a savior. Now think about that. He could have been a savior for for Mary and Joseph. He could have been a rescuer because they rescued at that point. See, the reality is, is that when we begin to look at family dynamics, a lot of times we become rescuers without us calling that. that. I know I tend to be a rescuer because when I see hurt people, I want to jump right in and see what I can do for them. It's natural for me to do that. I'm a rescuer, and I had to learn. Because I would get in situations that I should have never been in. Because I wanted so much to help, and it would get me into trouble. And so when we look at this innkeeper, he could have been the savior. He could have, like, you know what? I'm going to open up my house, 
I'm going to make my I'm going to make this available here. You can have my room, whatever you need. I'm willing to give to you. But no, he didn't do that. He didn't want to be a rescuer. Now, here's something. Look at those four words. Sympathy, surrender, sacrifice, savior. The innkeeper had that opportunity. But when we look at the innkeeper, the innkeeper actually represents the world. What? The innkeeper represents the world. See, the world has a lack of sympathy. The world has a lack of surrender. The world has a a lack of sacrifice. The world has a lack of a savior. And so when we begin to understand and unpack this, here's the innkeeper who's the world. Here's Jesus who has come from heaven, who's inside of Mary. And right away before he even comes out of her, he is rejected. It's not about Mary and Joseph being rejected. It's about the Savior being rejected. But the Savior, this baby, interesting. This baby that's being born, the one who's inside of her, he was already alive, he was already living. Before, before Mary was, he was. Now, now, now think about that. Before Mary was, he was. Before we were, he was. Before the foundation of the world, he was. And so when we begin to look at this baby who was inside of Mary, and they're outside knocking at the door to get inside to be protected and to have a place where the Savior was going to be born, he's rejected the world, and yet the one who is sympathetic, the one who is surrendering, the one who is sacrificial, the one who is the Savior, and shut out. So what ends up happening? There's a barn. And it probably belonged to the guy, to the innkeeper. Now, the barn might not have been what they perceive it to be, because a lot of times a barn back then was just a cave, or a barn could actually be underneath their house in the basement. So when we look at this, there's a reason why the innkeeper was rejecting Jesus, was rejecting them. Now, now look at where they're at right now. They've been rejected. They're probably restless. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a, their, their resources are extremely limited. What are we going to do? She was probably going through labor pains by that point. What's going to happen? There's a barn. A barn with some animals in it. A a, a barn where where you give birth to the cows and 
where, where, where calves are born and a, a place where lambs are kept and, and sheep are kept and, and, and chickens and all the animals. And, and, and you probably didn't notice about me, but I worked in the barn right there on Henry Avenue when I went to Saw High School. So I know what it is to milk cows. I milked cows for three years in the barn. I know what it is to be around sheep. I know what it is to, to be around animals because I had animal science and that was part of what we did because that was part of the curriculum. And, and so I got very familiar with how animals operate. And so, so here, they're in there with animals and it's a smelly, stinky barn. And if you ever went into a barn, it, it, it's awful. It really is. 16 cows in the barn, you can imagine how it smells, especially early in the morning. And I used to have to be at work at 4 o'clock sometimes. And then had to work with the manure and all that, you got my drift. So a smelly, stinking barn. But, but, but wait a minute. <laughs> isn't that something, isn't there something that... Jesus is letting us know here. Wow. See, there's something being conveyed in that message. See, this night, the place with this animals, the lowest of circumstances, it's a low profile. It's not a high profile situation because everybody was looking for this Christ child to come in splendor because he was going to be the king who was going to save them from their enemy, Rome. But God had something else in mind. You know what? I'm going to come to a place that's obscure. I'm going to come to a place that you will never expect me. I will come to a place where there's not going to be anybody around. I'm going to come to a place that's going to be quiet. But notice what the Savior is doing for us. The Savior is conveying a, 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 an amazing message. This transcendent God is condescending down to us, and he actually is going to go below us. See, that's what submission is. God himself, who created us, submits himself to us. And yet, when it comes to relationships with us, there's a lot of people in the culture who hate that word submission because they don't understand it. See, if you really look at Philippians chapter 2, it tells us what submission is all about. God submits himself to us in order to be our savior. And yet we find it difficult to submit one to another. It's amazing. So this God becomes a part of where we're at, and I'm almost finished. He's approachable. He's accessible. And he's available. Totally different than the innkeeper, isn't it? You would think that the innkeeper with this pregnant woman, that he would made himself approachable, that, that he would have been accessible, and that he would have been available. 
Because that's the world. That's the world. Now, you're going to find some aberrations. There's going to be some that will have those qualities, but it only goes to a certain extent because they don't have God. And so when we look at what Jesus does for us, in the midst of his rejection, he ends up fulfilling prophecy. Because this is how it was supposed to happen. It was in the divine plan of God. So the innkeeper actually becomes who God uses to help fulfill the plan that he had originally designed. God uses people in the world to bring conviction to us. Isn't it interesting how they seem to know, well, when we act out of character as Christians... Were you supposed to be a Christian? Why are you doing that? Mm. It happens. And you know what? In most cases, they're right. Why are we doing it? The reality is, the innkeeper actually helps us to understand who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the one who has sympathy. Jesus is the one who has surrendered. It wasn't about being comfortable because he left heaven. He was totally comfortable, but he chose to go through what he went through so that we might experience salvation. The innkeeper's Christmas. Hmm. People missed the first coming of Jesus. But will I miss the second one? Because he's coming again. They missed him. But he's coming again. Do we actually know the Savior? We need to experience the Savior. It's not just knowing about him, but it's knowing him. Knowing about him does not bring salvation. It's part of it. But knowing him is where salvation is. Knowing him on a personal level. The innkeeper did not know him personally. But watch this. If we look at what happens next with the shepherds, it's a whole different story, isn't it? Because the shepherds didn't know him either. But when they were given the message, they were there and experienced the Savior. That's a whole other message. Don't miss it. Don't be like the innkeeper. Because that was his Christmas. Our Christmas needs to experience we need to experience the birth of the Savior. The innkeeper missed it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us so much that you thought it not robbery to come down here and to save us. 
Lord, you thought it not robbery that we would be left alone without you. And so you did something about it. You, you had a plan in place. And so, Father, we thank you for loving us the way that you do. We thank you for providing a way of escape. We thank you for moving the way that you and that you saved us. You made salvation available both to the Gentile and the Jew. You don't discriminate. And that this salvation is for everyone. Father, we love you. Let this word be real in our lives. Let this word be alive in our hearts. And Father, Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.